This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Initial Burn Management by Dr. Robert Sheridan. Please note that in this video, we will be following the guidelines used at Shriners Hospitals for Children, Boston. Some of this information may need to be modified based on the equipment, guidelines, and practices in place in your institution. Warning, some of the content of this video is extremely graphic as it depicts the injuries associated with severe burns. Viewers unfamiliar with such injuries may find this material disturbing. Hello, my name is Rob Sheridan, and I work in the burn unit at the uh, Shriners Hospital in Boston. Um, we're going to talk briefly about initial care of the patient. So uh, the things I'd like to mention are the initial evaluation, uh, the burn-specific secondary survey, decompression procedures, and initial care and evaluation of the wound. Pre-hospital considerations. Ideally, relationships and plans have been set up front so that uh, when burn patients arrive, uh, it's known where they go. If there's a certain destination, a certain hospital, they're going to be clustered. Uh, that that uh, those arrangements and, and uh, understandings have already been made. Um, and all of these transports are greatly facilitated by communication. So to talk uh, between providers uh, on the telephone if possible, by email is just great. Uh, sharing digital photos is great. Any kind of communication really helps plan a smooth transition from one facility to another with a patient like this. Initial evaluation. In terms of the initial evaluation, uh, what are the key points? Well, airway is essential, especially in small kids, uh, and we'll talk about that in more detail in just a minute. Um, getting good vascular access that is reliable. Uh, we'll talk about that also. Get a good history while you can as the patients are transported through a care chain. Frequently access to those who saw the accident um, is lost. And so getting a good history very early is important. And then we'll talk about the burn-specific gambits related to the airway, neurologic issues, ocular and ENT issues, pulmonary issues, abdominal wound and extremity issues. Um, there are certain gambits that come up over and over again and we'll talk about those in, as a burn-specific secondary survey, uh, issues that are relatively unique to burn patients. In terms of the airway, this is the first thing you should look at uh, when you see somebody with a serious injury, especially a small child. Um, this is a picture right out of the uh, uh, ambulance, and you can see this tube is not secure. It should be the first thing you notice. Your hand should go there. You should hold it there. So having the, the tube secure, um, uh, the airway well controlled before you do anything else is really important. Um, sometimes it's appropriate to observe an airway. Uh, this child on the left uh, did well with uh, elevation of the head of the bed uh, and watching, but watching means being prepared to intervene and intervening should um, it evolve into a problem. You want to, evo you want to address the issue uh, before it becomes a crisis and not after. Uh, the second uh, child on the right uh, shows a well-secured endotracheal tube. You want to spend the time to secure the tube so it won't come out and it's comfortably uh, um, uh, comfortable with the patient but that it, it, it doesn't come out. There's various systems to do this. This is the system we use with the tube tie harness, and, uh, but there are other ways to do this. 
uh, that we can talk about also later. In terms of getting good vascular access, peripheral IVs tend uh, to uh, sometimes not be as uh, uh, durable as you would like, uh, especially when you really need them to be durable, especially in smaller kids. Uh, there are other options. You can do cut downs. You can put in I.O. lines. Um, central lines are, are extremely useful. Uh, it's important if you're putting in central lines to put them, put the smallest possible line in that you uh, can, that will do the job and uh, be very careful and thoughtful putting it in so those uh, central line sites are uh, preserved for later use. Many times burn patients will need uh, to reuse central line sites over the course of their care because the central line sites can be limited in number. Burn-specific secondary survey. In terms of the burn-specific secondary survey, uh, you want to start at the head and then work down towards the, uh, the uh, patient's uh, feet, uh, looking, uh, doing a very careful uh, hands-on physical exam, looking for certain gambits that come up over and over again. You want to think also that many of these patients have either a cryptic history or uh, there may be some trauma involved and you want to evaluate them all as if they were trauma patients. Um, you want to start with a neurologic exam. Uh, it's very easy to miss a, a head injury in the setting of a, a patient with a burn because of the pain medicines they're going to be getting. If they're intubated, they may be heavily sedated for this. And if they've had coincident head trauma, it's very easy to miss it. So you want to uh, do a very focused neuro exam and image them liberally. Uh, you don't want to miss epidurals like here. Uh, and. Um, uh, this is the setting in which it is, is, it is very easy to miss, this, miss uh, CNS injuries. A good exam of the eyes is important before they, uh, the adnexa, the eyelids swell uh, so much that the exam is difficult. You want to look for corneal abrasions, you want to look for blunt injuries. Um, in terms of uh, uh, airway, you want to make a diagnosis of whether or not there is an inhalation injury. This is uh, usually a diagnosis that is uh, adequately made by history and physical exam, looking for soot in the mouth, like here, uh, getting the story of a closed space exposure, a bronchoscopy, uh, and other uh, serum tests are not usually unnecessary in every case uh, to make the diagnosis. So the diagnosis is really a yes-no diagnosis at this point. There's no test that really will stratify the severity of the injury and predict how bad uh, the injury is. Uh, you, the optimal uh, uh, treatment basically is support uh, while the uh, body clears out the debris and uh, uh, generates a new endobronchial epithelium. In terms of abdominal issues, there's really just two that are burn uh, particular. One is the very high incidence of ulcer disease in uh, patients with significantly significant burn sizes. Historically, this was a common source of uh, GI hemorrhage and death. Um, and this is because of the splanchnic circulation being impaired and coincident with uh, the burn shock and with burn resuscitation early. Uh, this uh, complication has been almost eliminated with the routine use of H2 blockers or um, proton pump inhibitors in patients with burns until they are very stable and tolerating tube feedings. Decompression procedures. Decompression procedures, uh, uh, an important part of this. Uh, patients, the, the physiology here is that the patient has an inelastic skin uh, envelope uh, that's been burned and they're starting to swell because of a systemic reaction to a large burn and the capillary leak that is associated with that and um, uh, 
this can compromise distal, distal circulation. It can compromise uh, torso excursion as it relates to ventilation. And this is very easily addressed. Usually it does not become an issue for 12 to 18 hours after the injury because the patients have to be resuscitated to develop swelling. And um, the, uh, ideally, you set up the extremity if it, for a monitoring program. If it's an extremity at risk for um, uh, compression, you want to uh, set it up to be monitored. You don't want to wrap it up and then look at it again in 24 hours. You want to feel it for consistency and evaluate distal flow either with a Doppler or with capillary refill or with a pulse oximeter as shown here, looking for a good uh, triphy triphasic uh, flow. Decompression procedures are very straightforward. Uh, most of these uh, patients can be uh, managed with an escherotomy illustrated here using coagulating electrocautery. Uh, using coagulating electrocautery, they don't bleed. Um, and they can be very effective. Uh, the, um, in terms of anesthesia, analgesia, if it's a, uh, an older child or an adult who you can talk to and it's a limited surface area, uh, you can certainly infiltrate uh, a dilute local anesthetic beneath the proposed incision and do it uh, comfortably uh, with intravenous sedation. Uh, and other circumstances where it needs to be an extensive, more extensive procedure and the patient's not intubated, it's reasonable to intubate them for that uh, and give them a, form, a formal intravenous anesthetic. Uh, abdominal decompression, not frequently needed. Uh, this is usually seen in somebody with a very large injury who's not had a uh, prompt resuscitation and they get a lot of visceral edema from this and they need to be then decompressed as shown here. Uh, survival here is possible, uh, but not in certainly every case. Some patients need more than escherotomies, and they'll need fasciotomies of their extremities. Uh, one uh, extremity escherotomy, uh, fasciotomy illustrated here. Uh, in the lower leg, most common uh, four compartment formal fasciotomy is best. Should be done open so you can make sure you've got good decompression. Um, in the upper extremity, uh, uh, formal uh, fasciotomy to decompress the entirety of the arm and hand is ideal, also including a, a, a carpal tunnel release in, in most of the cases. And this picture, I think, illustrates uh, an interesting point. This child was decompressed about three hours after high voltage injury, and you can see there's very little actual uh, uh, irreversibly injured muscle, this uh, black material here, whereas the rest of the uh, uh, forearm muscle is very, very edematous, and had it not been decompressed, ischemic injury would have uh, damaged all of this, and in this case, the child retained his arm and had some morbidity due to the, uh, the, the directly damaged muscle, but the edematous muscle all recovered, and so prompt decompression in that circumstance is really important. There are other compartments. Uh, the, uh, uh, the ocular compartment is one, and this is a uh, lateral canthotomy being done. Uh, if someone has a large burn with a lot of swelling uh, diffusely and a tight facial burn, there are times when they'll develop intraocular hypertension because of retrobulbar edema and a non-compliant um, ocular adnexa. And this can be addressed by uh, first diagnosing it with tonometry and documenting a high intraocular pressure. And this is a simple bedside procedure being done, a lateral canthotomy, cutting the lateral canthal ligament. Immediately, uh, the uh, intraocular pressure will go to normal and uh, will really result in, in saved vision. Uh, so it's important to think about that in the setting of a large burn, deep facial burn, to check the intraocular pressure so you can properly decompress that compartment. Assessing burn size. Now to continue with initial evaluation and care of the wound, 
This is a Lund-Browder diagram where uh, you can uh, size the wound, uh, acknowledging how uh, the body size uh, changes over the course of the life cycle. Uh, young children, a, the head uh, could be 18% of the body surface, whereas an older adult, older children and adults, it's 9%. That difference is pretty much made up in the thighs and legs. Uh, the, so sizing the bird is useful uh, early on to help drive resuscitation. We'll talk about how that relates uh, in the next module. And then making initial uh, evaluation of wound depth is useful. Uh, there's an old maxim that uh, burns are almost always overestimated in size and underestimated in depth, and that uh, is still true uh, because there is evolution of the wounds, and frequently they do uh, look deeper uh, as one to three days goes by. Uh, having said that, a rough idea of, of the depth of the wound on initial evaluation is useful to case planning, transfer planning, and operative planning. Summary. So what we discussed here is, is the uh, importance of pre-hospital and inter-hospital transport and the communication that should happen before uh, injuries are managed between facilities and between physicians. Uh, we've talked briefly about the primary survey, the initial evaluation of the patient, a secondary survey in terms of burn-specific uh, situations that come up, and we'll talk, we've talked about the decompression procedures, uh, briefly how to do them, and um, we've talked about the initial evaluation and care of the wound. That concludes our video on initial burn management. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.